All right, grab your Bibles. We've got a lot to do this morning. Uh, turn them to Exodus chapter 20, and uh, that's where we're going to continue our Tender Commandments series. Uh, last week, uh, I told you I'd try to have you out of here in about an hour, if you remember that. Um, so, John Wooden has a, say, uh, has a phrase that he quotes. He says, be quick, but don't hurry. I love that. But this morning, I'm going to talk quick, so you're going to have to listen quick, but we're not going to hurry, okay? So uh, we got a lot to do. Uh, we're continuing this Tender Commandments series. Uh, we're going to pick right up where we left off. Last week, if you remember, uh, we talked about Exodus chapter 20, the first of the Ten Commandments, where God says, uh, you're not going to have any other gods uh, except for me, you know, besides me. Uh, we learned that based on the original Hebrew structure uh, the, this command is literally God banishing all other gods from the existence uh, of the Israelite people and from our lives. Uh, how, how many of y'all have had teenage kids? Anybody? It's kind of like that, the teenage daughters. Anybody? I need to talk to you because mine's going to get there soon. But It's kind of that idea where your teenage daughter brings home the boy that you just don't want her to date. And you're like, you can never see him again. You can never talk to him again. I banish you from seeing him or having any interaction with him, okay? What do they do? They go behind your back. But that's a whole other sermon at another point, I'm sure. But that's what God's doing. He's saying, listen, there's no other gods. You don't need anybody else but me, okay? So take out your, your little handout uh, on the inside. Uh, on the front, if you missed us last week, and this is just kind of a refresher, um, I put some definitions that are going to be important for you to understand uh, as we go forward um, that, that we talked about last week. Today is more kind of a, kind of like last week. It's a little bit different style for me, uh, but it's really a, a, a teaching time so you can really begin to understand the biblical structure from which this, uh, this Tender Commandment series comes, okay? So uh, I think that's going to be important because if we don't get... If you don't get these first three commands of God, the other seven aren't going to matter. It's not going to make sense. Uh, so we have to begin to build a good foundation for what God's saying. Okay? So we pick it up, chapter 20. This is right in the middle of an appearance of God to the people. What's that called? Epiphany is, a, is an appearance of the divine. The answer's on the front page. An appearance of God is what? Theophany, exactly. So this is a theophany. It's a theophanic experience from the people of Israel because God is literally showing up, speaking to the people of Israel. And if, if you want more on that, look at verse twenty or chapter 20, verse 1, and then 19.9 for more on that, okay? So let's pick it up in verse 4 if you have your Bibles ready. I think we're going to, uh, first service, the devil was all up in our technology so uh, we have banished him, we prayed over it, laid hands on it, anointed it with oil, whatever we need to do, so hopefully it'll work. If not, you just got to suck it up and we'll get her done anyway. So, uh, all right, chapter uh, 20, verse 4, it says this. God speaks, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Those three verses are powerful 
and important. See, this, this, second, this second command of God, it, it continues to set Yahweh. Remember who Yahweh is? Uh, on the front side, it's down at the bottom. Yahweh is the word, the four, it's called the tetragrammaton. It's the four consonants that they use to, uh, to speak of God. Anytime you see in the Old Testament, capital L, small capital O-R-D, that is where Yahweh, the tetragrammaton, appears, okay? It was such a holy word, they can't even speak it or translate it most of the time. So just so you know that that's kind of where that comes from, and I'll be saying Yahweh a lot because that's the God that we're really speaking about uh, through this text, okay? Um, so Yahweh is continuing to set him apart from all other gods. Remember, they spent 430 years hanging out in Egypt where they had a bajillion gods, one for, I mean, all sorts of different kinds for everything. So God is saying, listen, you remember all that stuff? Now you're listening to me, and there's a difference. I was with you then, but I am, I am showing you now. So in this, first, uh, this second command of God, we really have more than ten commandments because God is telling the people that they cannot do three things. And so flip your, uh, your insert over uh, at the very top. God is giving them three prohibitions that they cannot do. So it's more than just ten commands. Yeah, I don't have any other gods, but God is saying in this one, listen, you can't make an image or an idol, and there's three things that you cannot do inside of this one command. The first thing that they cannot do is you must not make. You must not make any other idol or image. The second thing God says is you must not bow down. You must not give acknowledgement to or reverence to. You must not, it really, I mean, it really just basically boils down to you just can't even acknowledge them. You can't bow to them or submit anything to them. Then third, God says you must not what? worship. You can't worship. If we understand commandment one as God saying, listen, I've banished everything else. You can't have any other gods before me. I know all the other gods you guys have heard about. They are so inferior. You just, they're done. Then he says, listen, because of them, don't make anything that replicates them. Don't look at them anymore. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them because I've banished all of them. I'm all that you need period. Okay, you with me? Okay, three of you. Awesome. The, the next thing that we have to understand, that there are two very distinct theological understandings about this one uh, commandment. The first one is this. God says, no other gods but whom? Yahweh. First service, they were like, no other gods but me. And I'm like, you're not the God. It's Yahweh. Remember? No other gods but Yahweh. You can't have any others. This is the God who delivered you from Egypt. It prevents the presence of idols uh, in the lives of the people. They're not to assign any theological significance to any element of creation. They're not to invest any energy or time in anything that is not Yahweh. If no other God has any real power, and if no other God delivered them from exile, then no other God needs to be in their presence whatsoever. So he says, listen, this is what I did. If you, if you read the text, I delivered you out of Egypt. I'm the guy that did it. I'm the, I'm the God that did it. You don't need anybody else. So guess what? There's no other gods. You have no other gods but me. I am the, capital G, 
O-D. Okay? The second important piece of imbiblical interpretation is, it comes here. It says, the, the Hebrew word for image or idol that is used in this translation, uh, it is the Hebrew word pesel. And it's, this is not in your notes. This is just free. Uh, P-E-S-E-L. Pesel is the Hebrew word. And it is not only translated idol, but if you have a, a King James Version, it's translated graven image, any kind of image. And if you look at the text, it says, uh, you must not make for yourself an idol or what? It's in there, verse 4. You can't have, don't make an idol or what? An image. You can't have either one. Don't do it. See, the, the understanding is this. We, we always take the, this command to mean, well, you can't replace God with any other gods. Yes, but it's more than that. Because the word pasel means image. So what God is prohibiting the people from doing is trying to recreate God. God says, listen, no other gods but me. I banished him, commandment one. Commandment two is there's no other gods but me. Just don't, don't pay attention to any of their idols. And then he's also saying, do not try to recreate me. See, what the people are trying to do and, and what God knows is going to happen is that the people are going to try to make a visible representation of himself. See, the issue is not uh, that, that God's worried about the creation of a, of a rival God that takes away their time from Yahweh because he's already banished them. He's like, yeah, I don't have to worry about all the rest of those gods because I've already kicked them out. Now my concern comes in when they try to domesticate me when they try to tame me, when they, they try to put me into a box. See, remember how God appeared to the people in this theophany? You remember? It's in thunder, in lightning, in smoke, in the shaking of the ground, in the, the blast of the shofar, which was the ram's horn. See, God has already banished all the rest of them. He doesn't fear, quote-unquote, any other gods. His fear, which he doesn't fear, but his worry, his his, his jealousy, as the scripture says, is driven by the fact that people will try to recreate him, replicate him in an inadequate way. And if they do that, they're going to miss the very nature and character of God. If you're like, okay, I don't, I don't know if I buy that, preacher. I don't know if that's in there. Let's look at chapter 32 together. Because this is the exact thing that the people of Israel did just 12 chapters later. 40 days later, uh, they, they tried with the golden calf. Let's look at, flip it over to chapter 32. Uh, I think this is where we, oh, good, we do have it. Second service. See, y'all are much holier than first, apparently. So this is taken care of. All right, you with me? Chapter 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, it's a whopping 40 days. Okay, I mean, that may seem like a long time, but it's 40 days. They gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can what? I'm sorry? Make us some gods who can lead us. Stick with me. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. See how they're blaming him? This guy brought us here. Now he's left us. We don't know what to do. We need a God to lead us. Verse 2. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. 
Then Aaron, in verse 4, took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Now, I'm going to pause right there because a little bit later, Moses has a conversation with Aaron about why did you do this? And Aaron goes, I just threw the gold into the fire and out popped this calf. I have no idea what happened. That's another sermon, but I think that's funny, right? He molded it. Verse 4. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of the calf. Now, when the people saw it, with me, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. They needed to see the God who delivered them. They could not see the visible form of God because he was thunder and lightning and smoke and all that stuff in this theophany that you just can't wrap your minds around. So the people needed to see something. And the proof is in verse 5, the next verse. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to whom? The Lord. The Tetragrammaton. To Yahweh. You see, Aaron knew the Hebrew language because that's what he spoke. He knew the names of God. He could have said, we're going to have a festival to Jehovah Jireh, to Jehovah Rapha, to Jehovah what, you know, just any other name of God, but he doesn't. The people say, listen, this is the God who led us out of Egypt, small g, and then Aaron says, this we will then have a festival to Yahweh. So here is your physical representation of the God who delivered you. That is the exact thing God said not to do. See, we are not to have any other gods except Yahweh in this command. The God who delivered his people out of Egypt, we are also not to try to recreate him so that we can understand him in some tangible way. I do think that, that a lot of the gods that, that we worship, quote-unquote, or serve, quote-unquote, are not necessarily gods who compete with Yahweh. I think that sometimes the gods that we worship or serve, we, we, we do it in an attempt to fill that void of understanding in our lives, whether it's money, possessions, cars, people, movies, whatever it is, we want to see a physical representation of God because we cannot wrap our mind around it. Think about it. Scientists try to explain the creation of the world by how. The what theory? Evolutionary theory, that's us, but the the big bang. Yeah, that's a theory. Good job, LJ. It's a big bang theory. It is a theory. That's their guess. They try to understand this amazing circumstances out of nothing. The meteors collide, whatever happens, a big ball of gas erupts, and voila, the earth and the universe. Does that make any sense to anybody? Not a bit, to me anyway. There has to be somebody who decided, I think I'm going to do this. And then it happens. Spoke it into existence. But they try to understand God by developing a theory Uh, A God, quote-unquote, to to explain Yahweh. Another theory that they have is, is the evolutionary theory. I can't imagine for a second that we began as an amoeba, became a chimpanzee, and then voila, here we are. It just doesn't make sense to me. 
uh, people try to, to recreate the understanding of, well, God could not, you know, uh, he took some mud, made this little dude, blew life into him, voila, Adam. And then here a little bit while later, he knocks him out, pulls out a rib, makes Eve, off we go. That doesn't make any sense either, does it? I buy that a whole lot more than me once being a monkey. Because I just, yeah, that's, anyway, I'm not even going to, that's a whole other conversation too. They're trying to make a tangible understanding of God. See, if for us worship means to, to give honor and praise and glory and adoration and, and significance to someone or something, the truth is lots of people, and sometimes we are guilty of this, we worship trees and the sun and the moon and stars or comets. Remember that hail bop guy or whatever it was, the comets, whatever? Sometimes we worship their cars pets, which I don't understand, children, spouses. We, we worship things because we want a tangible representation of, of something that loves us so unconditionally that we can't explain it. Now, you're like, oh, I don't know about that either, preacher. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Just a couple of books later, you know, it's, this is in the uh, what's called the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. This is still Moses and his scribes writing this. So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. But be very careful. You did not see the Lord's form on the day he spoke to you from the heart of the fire on Mount Sinai. What is he talking about? Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given. That's exactly what he's talking about. Remember, y'all could not see his form. He came in thunder, lightning, smoke, shaking of the ground, crazy stuff. You didn't see his form. Verse 16, it says, so do not corrupt yourselves by making an idol in any form, whether of a man or a woman, an animal on the ground, a bird in the sky, a small animal that scurries along the ground, or a fish in the deepest sea. That pretty much covers everything alive. Right? And, verse 19, when you look up into the sky and see the sun and moon and stars, all the forces of heaven, don't be seduced into worshiping them. For the Lord your God gave them to all the peoples of the earth. Verse 20. Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which is what you are today. So not only, and I want you to understand the biblical framework, Ten Commandments just don't happen in chapter 20. They're found throughout the rest of the book of Exodus and then even into Deuteronomy and, and then we'll look at a piece in Romans here in just a little bit. God is saying, listen, I am a jealous God. I, I am free to do what I want, when I want, how I want, and you cannot understand me, so don't try. Don't make an idol to look like me. Don't make an image to look like me. You don't get me. How many of you completely understand God? Okay, great. We can hardly comprehend who God is. And so God says, listen, you can't wrap your mind around it. Let's look in, in chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. I think this is up on the screen too. Because God reiterates to the people a few chapters later. He says, the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to thousands of generations. I forgive inequity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not 
excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. See, now, I've heard people talk about generational sin and, and the fact that, that a sin here continues through generations. I think sometimes that is the case, and that is where this is coming from. God says, listen, if you continue to worship other gods but me, uh, there's going to be sin that lives there, and there's going to be punishment for generations. But if you love me and worship me and obey my commands and stay in covenant with me, I will bless thousands of generations. That's incomprehensible to us. So in this text, uh, under the biblical interpretation piece, there's two other important things. There's a huge negative connotation in this, right? Uh, There's a huge negative. This jealous God, one we just read about, is one of deep moral seriousness, and he takes personal offense at violations of his commands. God, God takes it personal. Could you imagine that? God takes it personal when we disobey him. Parents, have you ever taken it personal whenever your kids disobey you? Adults, do you suppose your parents took it personal whenever you disobeyed them? Multiply that by a kajillion, and that's the way God feels. Right? He takes it personal. He's like, listen, I've set this stuff up for you. All you got to do is follow me and love me and do what I ask you to do, and we'll be good. But guess what? You don't, so I take it personal. And I'm going to punish you for generations. But the flip side of that is something hugely positive that we can barely understand because the positive side is Yahweh gives enduring fidelity to those who remain in covenant with him. If you've ever read the Psalms and parts, other parts of the New Testament or Old Testament where, it, where it's translated as steadfast love, do you remember any Psalms in there where it talks about the steadfast love of God? That word is chesed, okay, H-E-S-E-D. It's, it's chesed, which means uh, this un, in, unending, incomprehensible, steadfast love of God. It's, it's the type of love that we really can't understand. It's the type of love that we sang about in that last song. The love of God goes on and on and on and on it goes. So God says, listen, if you don't do what I say, there's going to be punishment for three or four generations just because they, so you learn. Then he says, but if you do what I say and if you remain in covenant with me, I am going to give this unending love to thousands of generations after you. Do you think for a second that that could change the course of your family and your family's family in a thousand times that? If we begin to practice these kinds of things, see it literally in verse, in, in verse 34 and then in chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, you're always talking about people who hate him and people who love him. If you hate me, I'm going to punish three or four generations of you. But guess what? The good news is I'm going to break the cycle. There's an opportunity for them to be redeemed. There's an opportunity for them to be forgiven because if they do, then I will bless thousands of generations to come. If you notice that, that this command, it labels the heavens, the earth, everything. Remember that? God is saying, listen. He basically saying, listen, kids, 
There's nothing in all of creation that is a representation of me that is adequate enough to describe me. What were we made in? What were we made in? The image of God, right? But guess what? God, you are not. You do not look like God necessarily. You are made in the image of God, but you are not God. Now, if we put all of us in this room together, morphed all of our faces together, that would be kind of freaky, but that would be a closer representation, right? Then if we took all of California, morphed all that into one image, that would be even stranger. You see where I'm going with this? No matter how many times we try to recreate this image of God, ultimately over and over again, it's never adequate enough because God is incomprehensible. And God says, listen, you cannot have control over me, so don't make an image to look like me because it's not going to be in my character. You are going to miss it. See, Paul knows this. If you have your Bibles, if you're open, just flip over to Romans chapter 1. Paul knows this. Paul writes about this to, to the, the Romans. And, and he's like, listen, you know, this is what he says in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 20. He says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see, listen to this, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuses for not knowing God. I don't understand how people can look at nature and creation and not believe in a creator of all of that. There's no way that some meteors collided together that, that puts the oxygen level just right so we can breathe, the water just right so fish can... No, no can't happen. Paul's writing. So they have no excuses knowing God. Verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Did you hear that? They began to try to create an image of God that they can understand, not unlike some of the things that we try to do today. Paul goes on to write, As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise, but instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Because that was their attempt to recreate God. You see, how many of you, does anybody own like a kind of a classic car? A couple of us. Uh, How many of you have ever seen one? Okay, everybody, good. There's nothing like the original, right? They just don't make Chevy trucks like a 1956 Apache. They just don't make them like that, right? They just don't make Fords the way they used to make Fords. In that same vein, what we do is we take those cars and we what? We customize them. Like the Skyons, like the new Skyons. You can like go to Walmart and buy parts that snap on, I think. I mean, it's really kind of weird. I don't get it. But you, it's, like a, it's like a Lego car. You can just swap parts and clamp it all together so you can trick it out and, and make it however it fits your needs. But that's the same thing that we do with God. We customize God to fit our desires. We customize God to fit our needs. And what God is saying, he's like, 
there is nothing like the original. You can't add to or detract from me. You cannot create me to look the way you want to have me look because I will look nothing like that. Don't even try. So in a nutshell, God says, and here's the last 20 minutes in one phrase, no other gods but Yahweh and don't try to recreate Yahweh in an attempt to explain him. You can't do it. Does that make sense? Okay, awesome. We got to switch gears. We got to look at the third command now. So let's look at that together because it's a little bit different. We have to understand, you can't worship, bow down, all that stuff. God's already banished all the other gods. Because I banished them, you can't have any idols of them. And because of all of that, you can't try to recreate me because you can't understand me, so don't even try. Now, he says, do not, verse 7, misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. But we don't look at the rest of that verse. Because it says the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. That's like, uh, that's like looking at John chapter 3 verse 16 without 17. John three sixteen says what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life, right? Verse 17 says what? I did not come to judge and condemn the world, but I came to save it. See, people who throw their Bibles at people always forget chapter or verse 17 right? Same way here. You must not misuse the name of the, of the Lord your God. Now, God is not only talking about bad language, and that's typically the way we look at this. You can't, you know, use bad language. Now, it's important to, to keep your mouth pure, and that's another sermon. I, uh, we're going to look at some of those things later, but you, it, it, the important thing for us to understand here is, and this is the next under command three, the first blank. God is saying it's all about how you use the name of Yahweh. How do you use it? See, in our society, it's really nothing. It's, it's, it's no big whoop to take God's name and misuse it, right? It's just, it just kind of is part of our vernacular. It's just part of, you know, and, and we all have misused God's name. Now, not all of us have, have cursed God's name and used it in that way, and I'll get, not all of us have done that, but I'll get to you in a minute. But those of us who have misused God's name by cursing the name of God or using it in a bad way, this is who I'm talking to now. See, we have to understand that anytime you say the name of God, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, it invokes God to move. That's why we, we end our prayers, how? In the name of Jesus because our expectation and understanding of the character of God is whenever we call upon his name, look at the Psalms, whenever you call upon the name of God, he what? He answers, he moves, he does something. It may not be the way we want, but he's moving, he's active, he's alive, he's living, he is doing. He answers us every time, whether it's the way we want to or not, or whether we hear it or not. Oftentimes in this vein, Next, we use it to curse and to condemn. I'm sure none of us have ever done that. But we use it to curse and condemn each other, the air, vehicles, objects, whatever, 
to use the name of God invokes this, this, this move of God. And we use God's name as a means to an end and not the end in and of itself. You cannot use the name of God to get you to where you want to go. He's not the means to an end. He is the end. There's no other way. But we don't, we don't really think a lot about that. And, and, and it's just such part of our vernacular that we don't even, you know, we hear people do, say, and act certain ways. I shared this first service. I'm going to share it this service. I'll probably get in trouble. That's okay. I'll never forget the very first time I said the Lord's name, quote, in vain. I was 11 years old. I was sitting at the table in my grandmother's house. It's exactly what first service did. <laughs> Died in Will Methodist. She was born and raised in the church, whole nine yards. And uh, I'll never forget it. I was sitting at the table. It was hot. I lived in southeast Colorado. It was like four million degrees. I just got done mowing the lawn. And my grandmother was a very particular woman. God bless her. But we're sitting at the table, and she had this big picture window looks out over the backyard. And she, uh, she looked out, and she goes, uh, you know, uh, you missed some spots out there. There's some things you need to go back and finish. And I said, well, Jesus Christ, Grandma. I'll never forget that day. <laughs> and she never let me forget it either. You remember when you, yes, Grandma, I've repented. I've thrown myself before God. I've thrown ash on my, I've done it all, okay? I've repented. Don't be anybody emailing me. You said, that. I know, I, it's okay. It's an example. Man, she smacked me right in the mouth and gave me a death glare. And to this day, I don't know that I've ever done that again. It was had such a lasting impression on me, obviously. But we don't even think about it. We hear people saying that stuff all the time. Well, I, I wonder what it'd look like if we actually lived this biblical understanding out. I wonder if we had some type of vain alternative. Check this out. Yeah, I know the party starts in a half an hour. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, I have a colored shirt on. I look fine. Yes, I'll be there. I need something, a, a bite to eat, a corn dog or something, and I'll be there in five minutes, okay? Okay, love you too, bye. Okay, 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 Brit, okay. <laughs> Marriage for a month. I can't believe it. I'll, I'll button my shirt now. <laughs> Mother of, what the, patow? Ragnarok!
so you want to sign up and help on Sundays? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. All the applications from the nursery on the wall, and I'd be like, what in the name of Ukupaka? Oh my god, oh, come on, is that a pterodactyl up there or something? Hey, you must be Ryan. Nice to meet you. Hey, good to see you, man. Hey, this is uh, this is the beast. Why don't you check it out? Can I start it up? Absolutely. Here are the keys. Give it a shot. Pop the hood underneath the uh, the dash right there. And uh, yeah, check it out. Yeah, like I said, it runs like a deer. So I think I think you guys are absolutely gonna love it. Looks yeah. like you got a deal. Awesome, man. It's just a small fire. It, it, it'll be okay. Oh, dude, I don't want any part of that. You're on your own. This is a Toyota from Guyana. I don't care who you are. That's funny, right? I did sell that Toyota, by the way. <laughs> just no I did actually uh, but that, that, that's, that might be what it looks like you know we put all those names in there so you could understand you know if, if we took this second command and really held it in reverence we might use the name of these other inferior gods who don't matter a hill of beans and hold the name of God more reverently so next time you're in a situation you can say oh my Hadad and you'll be okay right so Maybe not all of us have, have used God's name in vain in a curse way or cussed at somebody or said, you know, whatever, whatever. Now I'm going to talk to the rest of you. Because another way that we misuse the name of God is in pious and religious ways. Have you ever had someone say to you, well, God told me to tell you. Yeah, first service did the same thing. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I have. Now, sometimes it's legitimate. Okay, sometimes that's, yes, God is speaking into, into somebody's life to speak to you because you're too, you know, not listening or whatever, whatever. Sometimes that happens. But in my experience, the vast majority of the time, someone is invoking the name of God to get me to do what they want me to do. I'm pretty sure... Uh, yeah, I, I had somebody, we were going to, uh, another ministry, I was, we were going to change the carpet in the sanctuary. Somebody came to me and said, well, God told me to tell you that we cannot change this carpet in the sanctuary. Really? Why? Well, because my grandfather installed it. I'm pretty sure that's not why, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, if God's going to speak to you, God's going to speak to you. Well, God, God told me to say, and sometimes we have done that as well. See, we can twist our prayers to use God as a means to an end, as opposed to God being an end in and of itself. See, this, this command is much broader than cursing the name of God or using it in vain. It is really how we use the name of Yahweh. Now, I'm sure nobody's done this except me, so I'll say this. None of us have ever bartered with God. God, if, if you do this, I'll never do this again. 
God, if, if this happens, I promise to do that. I'm sure none of us have ever lied to God through our prayers. God, if you'll just, then I'll just do or not do or whatever. See, we cannot invoke the name of God to do things that are outside of his character or outside of his will or outside in, in, in opposition to Scripture. I'll never forget, I had a lady uh, as a youth pastor, uh, had a lady who was uh, in an uh, adulterous affair with somebody, and she walked into my office, and she told me, God told her to have an affair with this guy and to move out and divorce her husband. I looked at her, I go, really? I said, where is that in here? See, it's not. Misusing the name of God. See, more times than not, we just, well, we just don't realize it. We just don't, it's not part of our comprehension. We only understand this, this command to mean saying God's name in vain. It's broader when it becomes the misuse of God's name. And I think that's really important for us to hear because if we, if we look at it this way, it changes the way we speak about and the way we speak with the creator of the universe. So I could sum up the last two teachings, the last, if you were here last week, the last hour of your life on Sunday morning in this one phrase, okay? That all three commands, do I have any other guys with me? Don't make an idol or an image and don't misuse my name. All three commands concern seductive ways in which the God of the Exodus is diminished or trivialized. Because if we have another God besides Yahweh, we diminish and trivialize the creator of the universe. If we try to make a golden calf to wrap our mind around who Yahweh is, then we have trivialized and diminished the nature and character of God. And if we use God's name in, quote, vain, or use God's name in order to invoke our desires and our wants in improper ways that are outside of his character, then we have trivialized the name above all names at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It changes the way we think. See, I mean, it says, Yahweh will not acquit those who seek to use his name for their own purpose. He says, I'll not forget you. I'm not going to acquit you. See, we can't wrap our minds around God. And if we understand these first three commands, that, that the attempt, that, that, that Yahweh is trying to communicate to his people, you cannot understand me. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are what? Higher than your thoughts. You, you don't get it. You can't understand it don't try, just live by faith and I will be with you. See, the, the truth is God is not user friendly. I mean, he's, he's just not really user friendly because th there is, there's no analogy, there's no parallel, there's no antecedents, there's no uh, adequate replication or explanation 
for this God who moves and works in our lives and confronts us and delivers us and delivered from the people of the Exodus and appeared in fire and smoke and blah, all that. We can't explain it, and we can't even explain why he sent his son Jesus. I mean, it's, it's unfathomable to me. I have an amazing 15-year-old, 15-and-a-half-year-old son and an incredible 12-year-old daughter. And there is no way I would send them to die for you. There's no way. I don't like you enough. No offense. I just wouldn't do it. But God did. See, I wouldn't send them to die for you, but guess what? I would kill for them. I would put my life on the line for them because that's the father's love of a child. And that's what God did through his son. See, Jesus, Jesus says the same things as, as God is saying in these first three commands. Listen, don't try to recreate me. There's only one way. I am it because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no other way to get to here except coming through me. Just like with our kids, I wouldn't give them up for anything, but I would kill for them. You know, I haven't always been a preacher, and I'm not afraid to go back to jail if you mess with my kids. That's what I'm going to tell Anna's first boyfriend. I ain't always been a preacher. I'm not afraid to go back to jail. I've never been to jail, so don't send me an email. Not that you know of anyway. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But Jesus says it. Paul writes about it in Romans. It's all throughout the Old Testament. God says, listen, I'm it. Don't put anything else in place of me. Don't try to replicate me. Don't try to, to worship anything besides me. You have to understand these three in order to get the next seven. Because without the first three, you're not going to get them. Because it doesn't make sense whenever God says, honor your father and mother, if you don't understand the incomprehensibility of God. Does that make sense? You have to understand that God is ununderstandable. You can't put him in a box. See, the question for the people then and the people for us now is, first off, God has, has removed all the rivals. He's kicked everybody out. He demands and claims full attention of Israel and our full attention as well. Period. He is it. And today the question God asks us, because Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Can't get there except through me. I'm it. God sent me to not judge it, but I'm the only one that can save it. There's no other salvation other than me. The question for us, our modern world today, is can we practice and embrace this demanding loyalty of God? Can we completely turn our lives over to a God we cannot see, a God we cannot touch, and a God we cannot comprehend. The only place in my reading of the New Testament specifically, the only place where God is looking for something, it's found in the book of Luke, says that God is seeking, looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Nothing more, nothing less question is, is that something you can do? 